Hello and welcome to Inspectech, the Olympus NDT podcast. My name is Emily Peloquin and I want to thank you for tuning in today. This podcast is all about NDT and about the incredible people that work in our industry. I've been in this industry for just over a decade now, and I'm still amazed by the incredible people that I get to work with and how tightly connected this community is. On this show, have the chance to welcome experts from the field to chat about everything and anything, from challenging applications to new trends and even tips and tricks on how to improve your NDT game. I hope you'll enjoy the unique insight that our guests are sharing with us and that it will inspire others to also want to help in making this world a safer place. On today's show, I'm glad to be hosting Kimberly Hayes. Kim has been in different part of the NDT industry for about 25 years. In 2021, she started her own company, Valkim Technologies, a company focuses on supporting new technology adoption in a safe, reliable manner with an emphasis on the inspection industry. Kim is the type of person that, as we often referred to on this show, she saw that something needed to be fixed in our industry, so she thought someone should do something about that. And so she did. This conversation is all about daring to innovate, understanding the pros and cons of technology, but also of technology stagnation, and of course, being able to visualize the big picture. So keep your mind wide open and let's dig right in. So Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you for accepting this invitation. Oh, my pleasure. It's always a pleasure. So the, the first question that, uh, you know, as you, you may know, I always like to ask people, because we're such a small industry, how did you find out about NDT or did you stumble upon NDT? Yeah, it was kind of an interesting path. I worked for a company out of Atlanta called WR Grace. And, uh, you know, six months into that job, they actually asked if I would move to California to take care of a 51,000 gallon system at Boeing. And I'd never been past Texas at that point in my life. And I ended up on a one-way flight, ended up getting lucky, moving to Huntington Beach because I needed to basically be between Santa Ana and Long Beach. And ended up about five years later, four years later, we were, me and another gentleman were held on a retention contract while we were up for being sold. And we knew we were going to be purchased by an ITW company, but we didn't know which division and it okay. ended up being Magnaflux. Kind of the funny okay. thing in that was I wasn't sure if I was going to be a part of that acquisition um, because, you know, there's always that they've, they've got their own staff kind of a thing. And uh, so partly what I was doing on the side as well as getting my MBA, I was working for a company that did artificial intelligence chatbots. Oh, really? All the way back then? Oh, wow, because that's been what, like, 25 years ago? I was 01, yeah. And wow. the funny part was that um, I, in my grad school, I had someone from a large phone company, uh, cellular company in the class, and I was able to hook them up with the company that I was working with and ended up between the two of those incomes of making the connection and the contract, retention contract, I was able to put my down payment on the house in California, which was a lot of fun. So 
when we were brought in uh, because we dealt with uh, aqueous cleaning solutions, which is a, a large part of the pre-requirement for liquid penetrant. And Magnaflux okay, okay. was the subdivision of the ITW conglomerate at the time. And uh, they they were lucky enough to keep me on. And it was interesting because I didn't even know this industry existed. But once you start getting into it, and our primary target market at the time was aerospace, and I handled okay. the whole West Coast. So I was always flying into like United Airlines, Boeing, Lockheed Martin, and uh, Magnaflux paired the same, the same customer base, and even almost often the same department. So it was a good fit. I see. Yeah, and and some people uh, on the in the audience might not know this, but we actually used to work together, and uh, so you used to be for Olympus. And you know, I know that obviously your your focus was highly oil and gas, and so I I you know didn't really know about the the aerospace uh, side of things. But what what brought you to oil and gas later on? That's kind of a, a good question as well. Um, in 07, um, I better half actually got transferred to San Antonio. And mm. short story long, when I was still calling around to the aerospace companies, and, and ironically, the company I was working for was like, you know, I had everything but Texas. And so they were like, well, you can't really do your role not in your territory. And... Um, And so I was actually, we were here looking at houses because we only had one month. And so I was actually looking at houses and looking at other employment opportunities in the area and was blessed enough to have a call saying, well, we figured it out. We're going to give you Texas too, which is almost mm -hmm. like half the country, right? Right. <laughs> That's right. I know. And the cool thing is I was going through the sales report, I noticed that there was a, a large, almost quarter million dollar um customer, two customers that we lost uh, on a product that the aerospace industry didn't use. And mm -hmm. so when I, you know, I kind of went and visited them and this is back in 07, 08. And I was like, oh, you make long sticks and you make long sticks, you know, what are they? And they're like drill pipe. And I'm like, yeah, well, what do you mean by that? Right. <laughs> and uh, so I got a really good crash course by one of my work colleagues uh, who was a former Olympus employee as well, who sat in Maggiano's and Galleria on one of when they had the paper tablecloths and, and started writing upstream, midstream, downstream. And oh, wow. uh, explained to me the market from day one there. And um, yeah, because that's a whole new, you know, it's way different industry. Yeah, the structure, uh, the, the challenges, the, you yeah. know, and the thing that was interesting was the, when I got to those two customers, you know, they, with drill pipe, if you look at the pipe manufacturing just in Houston alone, there was like 50 mm -hmm. in the you know, stone's throw, you know, within wow. the, the yeah. beltway, basically. And um went down to see what the challenges really were and they'd actually you know worked with magnaflux to try to, to figure it out but a lot of times the perspective at that point was just aerospace or military very clean shop environments right and not necessarily the challenges that uh, a pipe yard in houston with open field dusts and uh dirty environments really faces so it really taught me a lot about the genji gambitsu the the go and see you know mm -hmm. hard hat steel toe in the trenches with the use case you really do learn a lot so it and then i was lucky enough to keep discovering in my territory at the time what tubular 
company's challenges were, what, what they needed. And through further deep diving, I realized, well, you know, the opportunity is much bigger than we thought. And I really had to dig into the market to try to understand who were the players, how the decisions were made. Um, and my luckily general manager was like, hey, um, can you see if it's the same in the rest of North America? Can you see if it's the same in South America? Can you see if it's the same in Europe or Southeast Asia? So then that was the neat thing about um, the NDT community in general. They're from a customer base standpoint and needs standpoint, you know, mainly driven by physics. And, and they all had the same approach, same procedures, same challenges. Same problems. Yeah. yeah. So it was interesting. And that's where the whole global business development kind of came along. Really nice. And so in, uh, I know that in 2021, you actually uh, started your own company, Valkim Technologies. And so what, what was the, the, well, first of all, congratulations, congratulations, because I think that's, that's great that you decided to, um, uh, to, to start uh, something of your own. And uh, well, what was the motivation there? What did you, you know, was there a hole in the industry that you saw and you wanted to make sure that you know, somebody needs to do it. I'm somebody <laughs> kind of deal. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because there had been a lot of, um, I, I think you were there when I was the first presentation. I kind of said we're at the precipice of change, right? You know, there's there's the opportunity to really um, upset convention in yeah. a way, but it must be done in a prudent way to make sure that the base message and method of what we do has that level of continuity, but we do have to look at things differently. And um, as I was in those environments, you know, the codes and standards weigh a lot, corporate coverage weighs a lot, and there are ways to deploy things in a globally consistent way, but it oftentimes takes a little bit of time, right? right. And yeah. there are development roadmaps that currently exist. And, you know, they're often whiteboard conversations at a point, but, or require a certain amount of dollar signs to really get within these larger company frameworks. Um, I found that during the COVID time period, that fence was being leaned against and yeah. actions were actually coming off the whiteboard and actually being deployed in the field out of necessity. Right. And yeah. The, the, yeah. yeah, the CEO uh, of Microsoft said it best in that they recognized two years of their growth projections in two months. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Wow. And it's that's that forced innovation. So I, it's often very difficult to want to think outside the box, especially yeah. when um, the industry is so risk adverse and um, you often get looked like the odd bird when you're chasing the unicorn. But I felt that there was a ideal time to work closer to the owner operators in understanding what the real pain points are and not mm -hmm. necessarily looking within the same catalogs or mm -hmm. product portfolios that you're forced to when you work at different companies. So, For sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it was, yeah, yeah the COVID kind of helped break those uh, golden handcuffs of comfort and, you know, good, good, good pay, good right. insurance, 
paying for your travel, um, all of that, you know, and it's not without uh, challenge when you go out on your own, especially when you're, you know, 25 years under that kind of a, a structure. And there's so much that mm-hmm. goes on behind the scene that you really don't appreciate until you're on your own. But yeah, you, yeah. you're on a crash course, but you get to control your 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 outcome. So, yeah, it's been lovely. I'm really, I feel overly blessed. That's really good. Yeah. And so for people who might not know exactly uh, what what your company is doing, can you summarize or, or describe in a nutshell what uh, how you help uh, with those problems and with the owner operators? What's uh, what can a day or what what can they um, expect when they reach out to you, let's say? Yeah. Well, the good thing is in six months, I was able to um, get three patents done, provisional patents, and two prototypes, right? Wow. It's, it's kind of funny because, you know, uh, there is no 40-hour work week, you know, the, a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, Pros and cons. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> because the motivation of excitement of some, I remember mm-hmm. one challenge in a, um owner-operator call on a Friday asked me if I could do something, and I was like, I don't know. So I went to my garage and, Within three days, I was able to make a um, progress that I felt I could email back and say, yeah, I think I can. And since then, I've gone through three iterations and and working through um, certification at this point. So uh, what I like to be able to do is focus on robotics, artificial intelligence, front-end technology trials, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. in the fact of it's important to innovate and it's not a failure to, to fail, <laughs> the first, yeah. but as long as you do it fast, right? The only failure is not trying. So if okay. you get it early and you can run these offline evaluations, you really get to understand the capabilities, limitations, and needs. So a lot of my efforts are around technology and maybe even sometimes collaborating with others mm-hmm. that are in the field. And um, I think there's an ideal time for industry to kind of rethink the way things have been done. It's not always the big players that drive the industry. A lot of it's going to be coming up, propagating from innovation and open crowdsource engagements. But we have to be willing to listen and not be pulled along. We need to we need to kind of throw the business cards out, sit in the room and put our heads together and solve a problem. And that's what I, I like to be able to do. Really nice. Yeah. And you're in a good position to do it because, again, you know, you've been soaking in, uh, you know, the, the oil and gas industry and, and other industries, of course, as we were mentioning earlier, but, but you know, understanding really the problems to try to solve them, but just not necessarily having the, the tools before. And now you can't, you know, now you don't have any... Um, encumbrances yeah 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 nothing stops you <laughs> so that's pretty that's pretty cool yeah when you when you're in the thing i don't have a, st- a shareholder to answer to or a boss I yeah yeah have my own liberties. flexibility yeah. yeah that's great you also presented uh at the last asnt fall conference in phoenix and so i know that you kind of had a, a message uh a main message that you wanted to bring to to the industry, really, and the people attending. So can you summarize or recap a little bit for us um, your presentation and what was that main message that you had? Well, the key takeaways I was hoping to 
to communicate was that AI is not new, you know, and it's artificial intelligence. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, yeah. No, that's, yeah. that's good. Every Alphabet time there's soup. in NDT, we love our acronym. <laughs> so I always try to break it down, but I often forget. So. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's not new and, um, but, and it's not meant to replace. It's actually mm -hmm. an excellent augmentation. That's one of the key messages. And we need to understand that this is a global opportunity to uh, inject um, solutions, but we need to make sure we converge on common vocabulary. And it's not driven by one manufacturer. It's not driven by one society, nor mm -hmm. one country. Um, even though each likes to feel that they're the, the parent of something, I think this is the, the, the genie is already out of the bottle in this and it's not, yeah. and we're not, we're not forging our, our new path. It's, I mean, luckily the medical community has gone before us and, and actually that's true. The yeah. other part is that I think we in the NDT side need to understand how we're going to go about validating. Um, and that's one of the things I liked about what ASME was trying to do with, uh, reinvigorating efforts with article 14, where you, you know, have the P POD or PDQ and you have your, you know, technical justification that's agreed upon and, and then you go through and then you have your validation metrics at the end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 9095 POD or just a simple performance demonstration, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's agreed upon by the manufacturer and, you know, by the uh, customer on the whole value chain. And the neat thing in some of those efforts, I found out like even EPRI has done a really good job of already having that data repository where they're already instilled in in some installations for like steam turbine engines if somebody says that they've got you know an ai for eddy current detection well wow. here here's your database how you know if you pass that database then you go through the um site levels um yeah. repository and then if you go through that gate then you actually get the uh, outage information for the past few years right and, mm -hmm. and then you sit with them and work through maybe some were detected that weren't detected previously. So you understand the value of those things. But I think we also need to make sure we kind of focus a little more on the confusion matrix. And by that, you know, it's the false positive, false negative, true positive, true negative, and the weight of each one of those. And in statistics, there's common terminology around, um, around those, and we need to make them a part of our vocabulary in the NDT sector. And also, em, you know, just embrace that. And then also embrace the importance of the data and uh, mm -hmm. bias that inherently exists within that. And also the exchange or trade-off that you do in the variance of of what you're able to get from these algorithms. You know, there's these trade-offs that you have to do between flexibility, interpretability, accuracy, you know, and linearity in that bias variance exchange. And like our ability to understand an XY or XYZ plot map is is pretty pretty intuitive, right? We, we follow uh -huh. what that means. So let's say linear regression is, is a, an easier interpretable linear, um, algorithm. But if you get down to, you know, deep learning or some of the neural networks, you're going to get a letter, uh, 
possibly greater accuracy, but you're also going to be dealing with these hyperplanes that, that aren't often as easy for you to visualize. So okay. it appears to be this black box, but it's really not. And I think sometimes the focus doesn't necessarily need to be on the algorithms and transparency to the algorithms, but that's why I think that the repository or database or validation process mm-hmm. is way more important than the how, right? It's the what and, and, and knowing that if you say someone has cancer and they don't have cancer, that's, mm-hmm. that's not as big of an issue as when you say they don't have cancer and they do. All so right, the right. false positives and false negatives, we, we've got to be able to um, converge on how we weigh those importance. And there's, there's, you know, equations that can make it, it's not subjective to someone's opinion. Right, right, right. Yeah, because that's, that's part of the challenge for sure in NDT is that it can be results or acceptance uh, sometime can be a little bit, you know, it can vary from an inspector to another. But and to... Yeah, there's even no yeah there's even like a nice publication I'd encourage some to read it's actually MIT um open source uh, open access article it's okay. well defect classification and radiographic images using um unified deep neural networks and multi-level features right so okay. everybody's feeling that's like, a mouthful for a title <laughs> it was <laughs> um but it's you know it's it's published and and free access and I think okay. that it's not so much that the large players or the commercial suppliers in the market want to keep this in a bushel and a competitive advantage. I, I, this is my personal opinion. I think it's mm-hmm. important that we have higher transparency in what we're yeah. doing and not leveraging these tools as commercial benefits, but then they're better for them. Um, the more you understand what's going on in them, the better everybody will adopt and that right. we're leveling the waters globally, hopefully. Right. And the more data we collect, the more we can do also out of this and eventually maybe even later down the road, if we have nicer tool, if we have a lot of that data, we can go back and, and learn more. That's the thing with mach- machine learning too, is that it's a continuous thing. It's not fixed, you know, it's not, uh, it will continue to to evolve and uh and, and get better, at least in theory. Um, yeah. So, but th- there's always that big question that comes to mind. I, I, and I know, you know, some listeners might have uh, th- that question right now in their head. It's just, do you think that at some point, is it at risk for an inspector to lose their job just because, you know, of uh, AI and machine learning and so on? Or do you think that it's, you know, unrelated or do you feel like it you know how do you feel about that do we need to adjust eventually or um is there a a true um threat uh to uh to inspector's job out there do you not continue writing emails or letters now that you have spell check you know (laughs) yeah i like that yeah kind of the way i look at it, it it's probably going to um there's a level of mundane, you know, and even artificial intelligence, it's stated as when co- computers do things that humans deem intelligent, right? And mm-hmm. so, and also let let the computer do what the computer does best. And yeah. so, you know, I, I took linear algebra in, in undergrad, you know, and you'd have three to four pages and a lot of it's arithmetic and a lot of 
time you can go through that, you can transpose a number or just make a simple arithmetic error and you're, you're off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where a computer can do it like that. And now yeah. with Moore's law, I mean, like I was saying, it's not AI or ML is not new. I mean, actually it kind of got its precipice back in the 1840s with Ada Lovelace. And I, I encourage you to, to, to check, check her out in that, you know, she was deemed basically the first computer programmer, but really, um, um, and then you had in the twenties, you had, um, you know, the metropolis false Maria, right? It's kind of fun things to look into, but in 1950 Turing and Minsky and McCarthy were were doing what's called the Turing test where they basically (laughs) had, you know, one person in a room, a computer in another room and and a person out doing the evaluation. And they basically send these questions and the intent or the objective was to see if they could make it to where the human that was doing the evaluation could differentiate or could get to a point where they could not differentiate between if it was a computer answering or a human answering, right? Okay. Um, and so, you know, back then they, they did a lot of things and there were things that happened through that. But really once we got to 1990, the computational capabilities caught up, you had Watson and, right. and then even now, I mean, Moore's law every two years, you know, your ability, the technology doubles. And mm-hmm. so I think our, even our phones, right? I mean, how we can do more on our phone than ever we could do. And no. I know when I went through undergrad, I think I was right after batch cards, right? And so <laughs> let let those, how, how many people remember their phone numbers? And so I guess that's a long yeah. way to get around to answer it is that there are really good opportunities for a computer to augment, to allow the expertise and specialized capabilities that humans, unlike anybody else, you know, can do. I mean, at the beginning of the presentation, I was talking about what is intelligence, right? It, it's mm-hmm. like, if you think about it as you're a baby, you're, you're kind of a open, open uh, vessel to learn as so instilled. And you, you know, you, you learn to walk not so well, you learn to run, you learn to, you know, do cartwheels, or you learn to play baseball, and then you become a super athlete, if that's your so chosen path. But doesn't mean that an athlete is any more intelligent than a musician or mm-hmm. a level three in, and even our differences in level three radiography versus advanced ultrasonics. Every bit of that was our own chosen training path to where we made our own building blocks to make us become our own unique expert or our own unique intelligence. That's the same kind of a thing I view in artificial intelligence or machine learning. It'll do what it's trained to do. If you train it to, to do chess and you've got all the capabilities in there, it can run through those numbers, you know, and, and make a f- rapid decision with a higher accuracy. But it's been programmed to a degree of that. And then it's making deductive reasoning based off of the previous, you know, programs. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, but it's not going to be able to go and play baseball, you know? And right, so, right, yeah. So I think when you look at intelligence in general, it's, it's, we all choose our own path to where we build our own unique intelligence. And I think algorithms do that same thing. So what we're, there's not, it's not a panacea, you know, it's not going to mm-hmm. come in and take away, you know, the NDT rules, but it may just help us be uh, either 
secondary checks, right? If yeah. you have a, a turnaround, you just want to double check and make sure as a auditing, it just saves hours, times, and days. Or if you want to have it a thousand images at one job and you want to have it just scrub through and prioritize, okay, we know that these 10 have indications. All right, I'm going to focus my attention on those first. Yeah. And then you're still going to have to lay eyes on the others, but you're actually using your time more efficiently. That's right. Yeah. Um, or, you know, there's there's other ways and it doesn't always have to be in, in defect or discontinuity recognition. There's, there's right. To be honest, I've heard from the owner operators, a way more important role is finding ways to ensure that that radiograph or that, you know, acquisition or thickness measurement, whatever, is the best that it can possibly be at that point in time, right? Kind of a quality control of the uh, of the the data itself. Yep, at site, yeah. at location, at moment. Yeah. You know, instead of after you've already moved down and gone to a different location, backtrack, or even have to re-erect scaffolding or whatever you have to do, right? Okay. That that you um, are helping ensure that all you know the calibrations were done correctly or the uh, wires are identified in the image and, and, you know, just doing that kind of, um, spell check. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. The spell check is really accurate now. Like, yeah, that that's right. It's a, it's a tool in your toolbox and not something that, uh, you know, your, 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 a new hammer is not going to, uh, do the job itself, but it's nice to have a, you know, a more performing one or whatever. It's a tool, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and so, all right, so I guess all of that, typically we, you know, the AI, the the ML, machine, machine learning, the artificial intelligence and so on, the big data, uh, it's all under the umbrella that what we would call NDT 4.0, I guess. Yeah. Um, and so... What are so you you talked about a little bit of the pros uh, for for NTT four Pono, but do you see any cons any downside of going that route uh, so far? Have you found any uh, or potential in the future? Uh, reluctance to change is one. Yeah, I think um, um, a lot of the it's not broken. You know, philosophy sometimes can retard oh, yeah. adoption. Um, that's that's the challenge, but I do believe that if uh, a top down, and by that I mean like the market of the customer telling you I am going in the digital transformation direction, either you're on board or you're not. You know. Mm, okay, so what what would that be the market of the customer? So let's say asset owner, some like someone above the asset well, owner. Well, let's say like an uh, oil and gas company, an asset yeah. owner in their facility, if they're saying, look, yeah. we're going digital twin, we're, we're, we're wanting, um, you know, to make the, our corporate mandate yeah, is, I see. yeah, that we're going. And actually like with robotics is another mm-hmm. whole nother conversation we could have, but, and that, the same concerns exist is it going to take my job but when companies like one very large uh petrochemical company there was a corporate mandate from the top saying there will be no more confined space entry by i think it was 2024 right and no we'll yeah it. okay yeah. and and that was you know corporate and the cool part about the way it was enforced was that um if you could not 
you didn't have to writing the technical justification was when you could not do a robot right so mm-hmm. that then they would take that and bring them together and work globally to try to find a solution to to knock that one off the list gotcha you know yeah. where it becomes your first thought is a robot and then you have to figure out okay if i can't do the robot i have to make an explanation to management which i don't want that okay. you know you you you're it, it, so that's what i'm talking about with a top down when when it it becomes like even the reduction in carbon footprint mm-hmm. that's yeah. that's a change that they're going through and so the negative sometimes is people people don't like change and then mm-hmm. there's also not effective way to do change management and every especially when everybody's got their financial uh, initiatives that they're looking to keep right they right. they don't look at the overarching outcome for the industry every company's kind of looking at their bottom line and so they don't want change so it's got to be in concert you know the owner operators the service providers the equipment manufacturers really need to list the truly throw business cards, in my opinion, throw business cards aside yeah. and say, how do we solve this problem where we're all doing it together? And then there was an article that I wrote in collaboration with two other partners that was published in January. And we're talking basically about that kind of film and digital radiography conversion. When you have a, a facility that they're saying they want to go digital, but then you've got an on-site service company that they've already got their processes, who's going to afford or pay for that seventy to $90,000 hardware cost, mm-hmm. especially when it goes through procurement and procurement's basically saying low bid. So the strategy has to meet with the financial initiatives of the company and how they're, I wish we would get into longer term agreements, understanding that, okay, yeah, I'll may I'll buy this hardware. I'll reorganize my business operations to support your initiative and you're going to stay committed to me for this time period because I have to recoup my costs and not just do the, you know, per weld or per hour inspection costs. So there needs to be just maybe different structures in the way we, and that those are dynamic. So those are Mm -hmm. some of the negatives that I kind of see and, but I see them also kind of crumbling in in some of their uh, entrenchments because, yeah, and I think COVID also, you know, I don't mean this in disrespect of those that have suffered through it, but I do think that that's been one of those, um, in my opinion, from an innovations-driven type heart, is that it's been that push that we needed to kind of say, oh, okay, we, we can actually have effective meetings and not be face to face. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's true. Or we can do a remote inspection or we can fly a drone from the U.S. that's in another country and be able to do code compliant evaluations. I mean, everybody, people just wouldn't, they, there was no other choice. They had to. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it, I think there's necessity some, is the mother of invention, as they say. So we had to innovate there. Yeah, exactly. One thing I also want to make sure to bring out, and I I kind of is there's I don't know if y'all heard of the um, the Gartner hype cycle, right? You have Mm -hmm. these, 
And I encourage you to to, to Google it. There's actually one okay. specifically on, uh, it says Hype Cycle for Artificial Intelligence 2020. Okay. And it kind of goes through this peak valley and then a lower trough, you know, uh, mid, mid-range continuance, right? Okay. So if you look at it, you have a peak and then a... Uh, a, a little ascension and a longer thing, but the, the basically the milestones in that is you know it's important to go past the innovation trigger, strive the peak uh, of inflated expectation, which is kind of where I think we are right now. Okay, I was about to ask you, yeah, where do you, where do you think we are now? But yeah. okay, okay, yeah. and then soldier through the trough of disillusionment because it it's not mm. gonna always be what you expect it to be. And right. then you climb the slope of enlightenment. It's like, okay, now we know what it can and cannot do. And then successfully make it through into the plateau of productivity. And that's where I think we need to all kind of look at that long range. It's to understand the phases and the phases in which you're in and figure how to trod path to where it's really useful utilization in the industry. Right. right. Um Sorry. So that's one I no, just wanted to make sure. Really right. good. That's very insightful too. And and I remember like that that brought me back to a conversation that I had a while back actually on this podcast with um Dr. Joannes Brana who uh-huh. um who yeah. came on the the show and uh you know I, I asked him a similar question about you know again like you know this does people need to worry about uh, their their jobs, or do you think that how can we make sure that they don't worry? Let's say if yeah. and he's he, he told me, and I don't know if you'll agree, but um, that if we do not uh, as an NDT industry, if we don't don't embrace the these changes, it's likely to come from other industries. And so he was you know talking about you know something yeah. like IBM or you know other places that might see that gap and take it that doesn't have to be within ndt um and that was i never thought of that that was really almost scary to me i was like oh my god yeah you know how about if somebody else figure out kind of how to do it uh, but without really the expertise and the knowledge and maybe even the the core values that our industry um have um and and come from a different place in the market just seeing it as a business opportunity and you know again the microsoft the ibms the whatever and 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 replace inspections with um with ai and uh and machine learning i don't know so what's your (laughs) it's kind of a long-winded question but yeah i wholeheartedly agree and um i think that we are going to experience some upsets of the conventional Mm -hmm. Uh, supplier pool that we perceive, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion, because there are skill sets that are required that are outside, like, you know, data scientists, statisticians, there's, there's roles that are going to be out there that we're gonna, that we should bring in and embrace right. into the fold and that, not that didn't existed before in our industry per se. Yeah. yeah. And there's actually like, I know um, there's an effort going on in, in uh, Australia where they have a repository of radiography or radiographic images and they're open source saying, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, here's the data, do your best. Let's see what mm-hmm. you can get out of it. And I think we would be amiss as an industry if we did not, welcome and seek those ad- additional influx of yeah. expertise. 
for different methods yeah mm-hmm. for 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 different aspects because of you know it's my one of my favorite kind of like you were saying with the hammer and the screw but it's like you know people don't need a three quarter inch new three to quarter inch drill bit fundamentally mm-hmm. they need a three quarter inch hole so right. you know if there are better ways for integrity be to be measured assessed and monitored I wholeheartedly welcome it. I mean, even when we've yeah. shifted from time-based to RBI-based, we've the knowledge is power and, and information f- garners knowledge, right? So mm-hmm. harvesting that, but utilizing it. And, and I believe we also have to be sober of mind to know that the ecosystem in which our data is fed is is much bigger. So the organism of a refinery operating itself that tml measurement is critical but it's not essential to the output of what the customer's seeking to do you know they have to do that tml because they want their assets to do what they're supposed to do and if there are other ways to monitor and measure that then that you know that may win Mm -hmm. um controversial as it may be but it's it's you know i i just i think we all have to you know if ford you know was looking at making a different horse and wagon, you know, he wouldn't have uh, gotten to where he was, but he he basically looked at things differently. Another quote I love is, you know, Wayne Dyer, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And so it's important that we don't look at, you know, it has to be RT, it has to be phased array, it has to be this, it has to be done this way. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately, we just need to make sure we're doing the best to get that three quarter inch hole. Yeah, that's right. And just trying to find a way to uh, to keep the world safe. That's what NDT is all about. So it just uh, doesn't matter how we do it. We just uh, need to find the most effective way to do it. Yeah, and open conversations like this, and I think more of these need to happen, which is one of the reasons I really liked what we did at, at the AS&T. For the second day, we had the uh, round robin or rapid fire. Rapid fire, yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are really cool. And it was interesting because, you know, good thing you weren't in our room because we went 45 minutes over. But it was it was really good because there were, you know, industry experts there from like Blue Origin and SpaceX and the, the Phase yeah. Ray Company and GE Aviation. And, you know, we need to be and we basically the latter 40 minutes, 45 minutes was what questions do you have? You know, how do we address these? How do we work together? Mm-hmm. How do we, you know, be it oil and gas, aerospace, military, we, the, we've got a, um, it's prudent for us to be able to find a centralized way of ingesting the technology as it becomes available. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, and we've done it with the medical and the medical is still evolving, but there's other places than the medical that we need to look at because we're at a different point in time uh, and uh, there's different different solutions now that are not uh, purely coming from you know again the, the med- medical background that we're so used to look at yeah there's also one last point on that one back to the medical community I was mm-hmm. lucky I was listening through a one of their conferences for digital radio uh, radiologists which I thought was you know in, it was interesting they've been doing this for over a decade and they still feel like they're um learning and and yeah you know yeah. it's a new curve for them um but one of the, the 
studies I thought was kind of interesting where they took, um, where basically you have an X, Y axis and one of them is the vertical is, um, sensitivity and then your X is, uh, specificity, which is the, the, the accuracy basically. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And, um, they did a technician, you know, could, could go up pretty well and plateau at a certain point in their ability to, to be able to, to detect it like second nature. And then they had um, random guesses. And then in the middle of that, they trained their AI. And then they went back and redid another formation of it. And, and it was noted that the technician leveraging the AI in the bell curve um, was actually compressed and peaked and shifted to the right, if you can follow that visualization. Okay, okay. You know, where, you know, you have a standard bell cor- curve with your 80-20 yep. going, and, uh, but with the augmentation, that accuracy compressed and your sensitivity peaked at a much more higher um, accuracy position, right? Your, be- your bell, cor- bell curve compressed peaked and shifted to the right. Okay, I see. Yeah, and so that's a thing to embrace about how these tools can actually augment and make our output more confidently accurate and then fundamentally supporting our mission and goal of saving lives and assets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Kim, I have to say that, uh, you know, I truly admire how um, dedicated you are to continue learning, especially after, you know, 25 years plus in the NDT industry. How old I um, am is what you're saying? <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> right. No, that that's something we won't say. We won't disclose. <laughs> But uh, you started very young. So that's extremely. <laughs> that's really impressive. And um Yeah, it's just, you know, you continue to learn new skills. And I think that's, uh, it's, it's not only important, it's, it's vital in NDT. And uh, so I really, really uh, admire this. And um, I feel like I've learned a lot today. So thank you very much for this. And thank you for this conversation. Really appreciate it. Always an enjoyable time. Thank you, Emily. There's a lot, a lot of cool things. And I have always kind of said, this is probably the most exciting time where change is actually taking place in the 25 years I've been in the industry. So yeah. it's exciting times to be an NDT, and I'm excited to see where things progress. Same here. Same here. Can't wait to have this conversation again in 25 more years and uh, see where we're at. You'll, you'll, you'll be on your own <laughs> on that one. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Emily. This is it for today's show. I really hope that you enjoyed the conversation with Kim and that it inspired you as well to dig just a bit beyond the current approaches, or at least that it opened your mind for what the future may bring to our industry. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review or a comment. I always love to read those. And if you would like to be on the next show, email us at podcast at olympus.com. Until then... Thank you for your contribution in making the world safer out there. Bye for now.